myself on. Am I good? Can you hear me? I can't hear myself. My head's a little stopped up. You got it? Good, Carol. Well, give yourselves a hand. You did it. We did it together. We made it to the end of Acts. One year and two months. 44 sermons in total, you did call it. I was thinking this week, maybe we should... We, we're having, by the way, uh, shirts printed um, with each of the solas, one a year. Last year was by Grace Alone. This year, through Faith Alone, it'll be out in the next week or two. But I was thinking we should have shirts printed that said, Paul survived beatings, shipwrecks, imprisonment, a snake, bi- a snake bite, and I survived the Acts sermon series. <laughs> you've, you've done it. Or, like one that I got from my parents uh, when I was little, I traveled with Paul to Rome, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. <laughs> Maybe we deserve it. So for one last time, at least for a while, I'll invite you to turn to the book of Acts. 28, 11 through 31. Right? Acts 28, verses 11 through 31. That's the end of this history. And if you, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to grab one from the pew rack, you can do so and make your way to page 937. Let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll read God's Word together. Heavenly Father, the grass withers and the flower fades, but your Word remains forever because it is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, your Word works Uh, You've pledged and promised that it will. And when the Holy Spirit goes before the reading and preaching of the Word, and and as Jonathan mentioned in his prayer, quickens and alivens and awakens um, us. Lord, when you unstop our uh, ears and open our eyes to hear and see not only our sin, but ultimately the good news of our Savior, that is your doing. And so I pray that you would do that this morning. For one last time, at least in the book of Acts, would you work within us as we consider the the history of the church, the beauty of um, our forefathers, the beauty of those saints who've gone before us, and the Spirit's work among them. Uh, Lord, guide us as we consider all those things. In Jesus' name, amen. This is where we pick up Paul, his companions, 200-plus men uh, shipwrecked on the island of Malta, spent three-plus months there, eventually boarded another uh, ship on the way to Rome. We pick up in verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit And arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Putioli. And there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God. And took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. 
stopped. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. May God write his word upon each of our hearts. So some time ago, Jason and I were driving after lunch and we, we saw a billboard with that week's Powerball jackpot uh, winnings up on, on the billboard. And of course, we began to talk, as many of you would, what we would do if we were to win that sum of money. What would you do with your lottery winnings? And I told him that if I ever won the lottery, that I would keep being a preacher. And I meant it. I meant it. I, I, I don't know what else I would do. And of course, uh, he either called me crazy or a liar, but I did mean it. Now, I, I might be a preacher in the Cayman Islands, <laughs> in a self-funded church plant with a couple associate pastors, a dozen staff, but I think I would keep preaching. And I love how the book of Acts ends. It ends with Paul doing what Paul did. Paul was a preacher, and so how does this whole story end? It ends with him preaching. I, I find it interesting that although, I don't know if you noticed this, Paul, Paul is under house arrest. He refers to, whether it's literal or whether he's talking about his, the constraints placed upon him, these chains 
Paul is under house arrest, and yet he's allowed freely to travel throughout Rome and to visit friends and to uh, arrange speaking engagements to both Jews and Gentiles. He's allowed to travel freely. And that may say something about the way that the authorities viewed Paul. They certainly didn't view him as a threat, at least not a flight threat. We know that Festus and Felix... Agrippa and Julius, the Roman centurion, didn't believe that Paul had committed any real crime. So it may say something about the way those in charge viewed him, but it certainly says something about the plan of God to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth. Nothing will stop it. Nothing will stop God. Even his primary spokesperson at this time in the life of the church, when when everything is against him, God His plan will prevail. I want you to remember, if you can think back a year and two months, how all of this began. In Acts 1, Jesus said to the disciples, Do not leave Jerusalem. Do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. But then... When the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then one chapter later, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit came and some 3,000 souls were saved. And from that day, the Lord has been adding to his church constantly. That was the common refrain that we heard in the early chapters of Acts the Lord added to their number. Many believed. The church grew. And friends, that refrain continues to play to this very day. The church has grown from a largely Jewish base of converts into a multi-ethnic, multinational, multilingual mosaic. And some of the very last words of Scripture recorded by John in Revelation, Revelation 7, are that in eternity there will be people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. That's that's where all of this is headed. And so how do we get... How do we get to there from here? How do we get from the year 60 A.D., 61, when, when Paul is in, a Roman, in Roman imprisonment, when the church is just expanding, it's in its early stages, how do we get from that point to what John sees, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, followers more numerous than the stars of the heaven as promised to Abraham or the sands of the sea? I want you to notice the the very last paragraph in Acts, beginning in verse 30. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. How? With all boldness and without hindrance. Even though the book of Acts ends with Paul imprisoned, it doesn't end on a low note, it ends on a high note. Luke ends with optimism. 
John Stott makes this observation. Though Paul's hands were bound, his mouth was wide open for Jesus Christ. Though he was chained, the word of God was not. I'm going to say more next week about Paul's two-year imprisonment. During those two years, he wrote what we call the prison epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, or Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. In Philippians 1, one of the letters that he wrote during that two-year period, he says, I want you to know this, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, we know what's happened to him because we've been looking at it for the last six months. I want you to know that's what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole Roman imperial guard that my imprisonment is for Christ. Though Paul was bound, the gospel was not. And the very last word of Luke's history is unhindered. The gospel goes forth unhindered. And this morning I want to share a few thoughts about the unhindered word of God, the unchanging plan of God, and the unstoppable movement of God. That's not the outline, those aren't the points, but that's what we're going to consider that, the, that God's plan, which we see beginning in the very first chapter, and we see making a transition here at the end, continues to go forth unhindered. God continues his work through us. We carry on the same message, uh, message and mission as Paul. And so here's the first thought. God's word, God's plan, and God's gospel movement center on hope in Jesus. God's plan, God's word, and his movement that we are a part of center on hope in Jesus. I, I say this often, but I don't know that it can be said enough. I want you to understand, friends, the Bible is not mainly a book about you and what you must do. The Bible is mainly a book about Jesus and what he has done. Seeing scripture that way and reading scripture that way makes all the difference in the world. It is not mainly a book. It is given to you, but it is not about you. And it is not primarily telling you what you must do, although there are imperatives. It is a book about Jesus and what he has done. In Luke 24, after Jesus had risen from the grave, he was walking along the road to Emmaus, and he came alongside two men, and those two men were discussing all that had happened over the previous week, the trial, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. And the men were trying to understand all of it, trying to make sense of it. And Luke 24, 27 says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets... Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus beginning, began in Genesis and worked his way through the Old Testament explaining how all of it is ultimately about him. In Acts 8, we saw an almost identical scene unfold. Philip met a man, an Ethiopian man, on the road between Jerusalem and Gaza, and the man was reading Isaiah 53. He was trying to understand it, trying to make sense of it. And it says, then Philip opened his mouth, 
And beginning with that scripture, Isaiah 53, he told him the good news about Jesus. Friends, understand that God's word is all about our hope in Jesus. That God's plan and God's gospel movement center on our hope in him. It's all about him, it's all for him, it's all through him. And so after Paul had settled in Rome, after he had uh, settled in, he, he gathered the Jewish religious leaders. He, he wanted to make his case before them, and they certainly wanted to hear from this um, man with his reputation. Verse 20 of our text says that uh, Paul says, I have asked to see you and speak to you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. They wanted to know more about this. They wanted to hear more about this hope of Israel. So they scheduled another time to meet with Paul. And in three, in three verses later, in 23, we read this. From morning till evening, he expanded to them, expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law and the prophets from both the law of Moses and the prophets, just like Jesus had done, just like Philip had done. To, to these Jewish religious leaders, Jesus opened Scripture, and he pointed, or Paul opened Scripture and pointed to hope in Jesus. You see, Paul, Paul had been in their shoes. Paul knew about God's promise to Israel. Paul knew of a promise that there would be a seed of woman, a son of David, a redeemer. Paul, just like these religious leaders, knew the Old Testament. His, his mentor, his teacher, his, his professor Gamaliel had trained him in the Old Testament. He was familiar with the Old Testament. He knew about the hope of Israel, but he had no hope in Jesus. Th those two dots had not connected for him. He had heard about hope and a hope for Israel, but he did not understand hope in Jesus, that those were one and the same until the road to Damascus. When the Lord blinded him first and then opened his eyes, and suddenly all the Old Testament took on new meaning. All of those Old Testament passages that he had known since childhood came to life. Paul understood and believed in Christ and the Messiah. A few weeks ago, uh, my oldest son, Cademan, he was... He was uh, asking me what I would say to a friend of his who's a bit skeptical. Skeptical about the faith, skeptical about Scripture, what I would say to him. The, the friend asked this, how can you be so sure? Well, I told him that, that I am sure. That I am sure my hope is in Jesus. Because first... Hope in Jesus is the testimony of all of Scripture. It all points to Him. And so, if, if, if this is wrong, then, 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 then we are wrong, then I am wrong. But all of this points to Jesus, so that's the first basis for my certainty and surety. I said, I said second, Jesus is the only way to make sense of history. Last week I mentioned that Malta, that small island uh, where their ship moored, or it shipwrecked, 
that it was the first Roman colony to almost entirely convert to Christianity, that to this day, the second week of February, they have a feast of Paul where they celebrate um, the miracles that Paul performed to Publius' father and, and saving him from death and all the, the miracles that Paul did and the radical overtaking of that island that, that happened. To this day, 98% of the Maltese people profess faith in Christ. The only way to explain that is right here. So it's not, it's not that I see Jesus in history, it's that I see history through Jesus. And then the third reason I said for my surety and for my certainty is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, Paul says that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so my hope, if you're asking me, how can you be so sure? Because the words of Scripture, the way of history, and the witness of the Spirit. That would be a great sermon some point. That was Paul's hope. That was a hope that, that was rooted in, in the law and the prophets. That this hope of Israel, this long-awaited promised hope, was seen as hope in Jesus. Now what this means for us on a very practical and personal level, is that our message, both as individuals and as a church, right? that our message must center on hope in Jesus. That, that there, there will be times, and, and uh, in two weeks, we are going to begin a series through the Apostles' Creed, 12 weeks through the Apostles' Creed, and so we're going to take um, various things. The first week, I believe in God the Father Almighty. We'll look at the, the Trinitarian nature of God and God as he has revealed himself as Father, that he is Almighty. The next week, uh, um, creator of heaven and earth, we'll look at the doctrine of creation. Um, so so we'll, we'll talk about things other than Jesus, but it all centers on Jesus. Do you understand? Our message must center on Jesus. Our motivation must rest on the hope that we have in Jesus, and our mission is driven by that same hope. Friends, that's how we get from Acts 28 to Revelation 7. That, that, that's how we get from here, from the end of Luke's history to the end of the biblical witness, is when we have hope in Jesus. So that's the first thought. Second thought, we can carry on optimistically and expectantly because we have confidence in God's purpose and plan. So you and I can carry on optimistically. Remember, Luke, uh, Acts does not end on a low note. Paul's in prison, but it ends on a high note of optimism. We can carry on optimistically. We can carry on expectantly because of our confidence in God's purpose and plan. So I told you earlier that even if I won the lottery, which, by the way, you got to play the lottery to win it, and I don't, but maybe I'll start, that I would like to think that I would keep being a preacher. That's what I plan to do. That's what I think I'll do. But, but I, I have to tell you, and I, I'm being very serious about this, being a preacher is not easy. It's, it's unlike other jobs. For example, if you're a landscaper, you can, you can see the project before you. You can see what needs to be done. You can do it. And when you're finished with your work, you can look and you can see the results. That's why I enjoy mowing the yard, because I can actually see what I've accomplished. If you're a doctor, 
You can, you can diagnose an illness and you can treat it. And then after treating it, that person will either remain sick or, or get healthier. But, but for the most part, you can see the results. You can measure the results. And you can translate that into so many of your vocations and careers that you can put your hands to something and you can see what you've accomplished. But one of the challenges of, of being a pastor and a preacher is I can't see into your heart. I can't measure your belief. I, I want you to consider Paul's conundrum. Paul was an educated man. I mentioned a moment ago, trained at the foot of Gamaliel. He was an eloquent man. In incredibly eloquent, although in 1 Corinthians 2, he said that he did not rely on his eloquence, but he was eloquent. He had a personal testimony to match his powerful message. He had the best illustrations. I mean, think about all that's gone on over the last five to seven years in his life. He is loaded with illustrations. He was a tireless worker, we see in the text, receiving people morning until evening. And yet, notice verse 24. Some were convinced, but others disbelieved. How incredibly frustrating. You can be educated, eloquent, have a powerful testimony, the best illustrations, get up at sunrise, preach until sundown. Some will believe, and others will disbelieve. And have you ever wondered, friends, why some people hear the life-giving message of the gospel and believe, and some hear that same message and continue in their rejection? It's a hard question. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to wrestle with. But Paul gives the answer. He quotes Isaiah 6. He quotes the prophet's words and, and God's, God's declaration to his people. Some will hear but not understand. Some will see but never perceive. For some, their hearts are dull, their eyes are closed, and their ears are stopped. The easiest answer is that the mystery of faith is a mystery. That God alone opens eyes and unstops ears, quickens, or, or, or takes a heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. Now, it's not an easy answer, but it is an answer. And it's a comforting answer, at least for me, and I hope for you it's a comforting answer because it means that the success of the gospel, that the way we get from Acts 28 to Revelation 7, the success of the gospel doesn't depend on my or your clever presentation. That it doesn't depend on our clear communication, although we should strive for that. That we can have confidence and expectantly uh, hope that God is going to fulfill his purpose and plan. What I want you to understand is, yes, being a preacher is hard because I can't see into hearts and I can't measure belief, but it's no different for you. Every Christian, in a sense, is called to be a preacher. You may not be called to do what Jason and I do vocationally, but you are called to proclaim. 
Scripture is very clear on that. You are called to proclaim with both your words and your life the hope that you found in Jesus. But if Paul couldn't persuade everyone, if Jason and I and other pastors can't persuade everyone, then what comfort and confidence can you have? Well, your confidence, my confidence, is the same as Paul's, that God has a purpose and a plan, and we can be faithful because he is faithful to accomplish what only he can accomplish. And so he promises here. Some will indeed hear but never understand. Some will uh, see but never perceive. But if, if they should turn, I would heal them. God will never say no to a believing person. God will never cast anyone away who longs for a Savior. So, so to, put this, to put this in theological terms, the doctrines of unconditional election, effectual calling, the doctrine of irresistible grace, that is not meant to make us pessimistic, it's meant to make us optimistic. God's plan is not meant to confound us, it's meant to give us confidence. What this means is that you can speak to your family members or your coworkers and colleagues or your neighbor or whomever about the hope that you have in Jesus and then lay your head on your pillow and rest well. You can have confidence in God's purpose and plan. You can do what he's called you to do and let him do what only he can do. Elsewhere, Paul said, I planted... Apollos watered, but God brought the growth. God brought the increase. So this ministry and mission that we've been given of, of seeing the gospel go forth unhindered, this ministry and mission that we've been given is so large, it's so beyond us, that if it depended on us, we would have no reason for confidence. But it depends on God. It depends on on, on, him fulfilling, on, on, on him fulfilling his plan. And he's pretty good at his job. And so, remember that our message, our mission, our motivation, the hope of Israel is hope in Jesus. Remember, you can be confident in God's plan. The gospel will go forth unhindered because God is faithful to his plan. He is faithful to his purpose. Here's a final thought. One of the ways the gospel message flourishes, one of the ways that it continues to go forth is by the love that we have for all people. It's so simple, and yet it's so profound. We must love people, all people. You know, the Jews had done Paul dirty, and yet he still loved them. I was astounded when I read this. N notice what he told the, the Jewish religious leaders in verse 19. I have no charge to bring against my nation. You've got to be kidding me, Paul. They've been trumping up charges for three years. They won't let the dead dog, they keep kicking a dead dog, and yet you've got nothing against your people. It was because of the Jewish mob that he had remained in prison all this time. It was because of the false charges brought by the Jews that he had been forced to appeal to Caesar and have this uh, 
train wreck of a passage or shipwreck of a passage. And yet he says, I'm not mad at you. I've got nothing against you. In fact, I love you. And I would love for nothing more than to you, for you to find hope in Jesus. In Romans chapter 9, one of the most astonishing passages to me, Paul said that he had great sorrow and unceasing anguish because of his kinsmen according to the flesh, because of his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. And he writes to the Romans, if it were possible, I would choose myself to be damned, severed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my Jewish brothers, if only they would believe. If only they would believe. How can anyone utter that? Love. Because of love. The love of Christ compels us. 2 Corinthians 5, for we consider that one has died for all. Paul didn't just love the Jews, he loved the Romans, and that's pretty astounding as well because it was the Romans who had gone along with the Jews to keep him wrongly imprisoned. Near the end of this passage, right at the very end, Luke tells us that over the next two years, Paul welcomed all who came to him. Now, it's very easy to skip over that three-letter word, but F.F. Bruce, in his commentary on Acts, tells us that the reason Luke communicated it that way, because he's, he's just previously delineated Jews from Gentiles, but he chooses a third way. He speaks, he uses the word all, is because all means all, both Jews and Gentiles, both Jews and Romans. He welcomed all because he loved all. Jesus said in Luke 7, that it's easy to love people who love you in return. That, that even non-believers, people with no, people with no um, sort of moorings of faith, it's easy to love people who love you. But because of Christ and in Christ, we're called to a greater love. We're called to love our enemies. We're called to love people who, who seem to us at least unlovable. And so, friends, what does this look like? That the way the gospel continues to go forth unhindered is by and through the love that we have for all people. So what does this look like for us? Can we? I know this is a big ask. Can we set aside partisan politics to love people with whom we differ greatly on politics and policy? There may be no greater test of love for a believer. There may be no greater test of living faithfully for Jesus than what we will experience this year in this nation. Amen? Republican voter, do you love all? Do you love your socialist-leaning co-worker? Democrat voter, do you love your Tea Party neighbor? That's, that's the context. The Jews had done Paul dirty. The Romans had been complicit. And yet with love for all, he received them night and day, proclaiming the kingdom of God, preaching the message of Jesus. Can you love the boss or the supervisor who seems to have it out for you? 
Listen, to the degree that we fail to walk in, this is part of our vision statement, living the truth, acting in love. To the degree that we fail to, to live and act in love, we do hinder the gospel cause. The gospel will go forth. God will accomplish his plan. But he purposes to do that through his people, through love. So will we love all? Will we welcome all? And when we do, God continues to do his gospel work, and our confidence is that it will prevail. It will prevail. He will prevail. But let's make sure that it prevails because God is working through us, not in spite of us. And then we see Luke's vision unfold. John's revelation comes into sight. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this history that, that we don't only have the Gospels where, where we're introduced to Jesus and, um, and we see his life, death, resurrection, uh, but, but from there we see how that, that Gospel work took root, how the Spirit came and overflowed and empowered and we see on one day, 3,000 souls added to the church, and you've been doing that same thing now for nearly 2,000 years. And so, Lord, help us to believe. We, we say, like, like, um, like the soldier whose daughter was sick, dying and ill, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We believe you're going to continue to build your church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. But it's hard when some believe and some don't. It's hard when we work and don't see results. And so, Lord, would you give us confidence, increase our faith, renew our hope in Jesus, and work within us so that we know your love and live in light of it. To the praise and glory of our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.